Hello and welcome to Strange Sound. This is Joe. Glad to have you with me. Thanks for joining me. Always glad to have someone listening. Thank you for listening. Very much appreciate it. Well, here we are again. Another week. Another podcast episode. This one, episode number 58 of Strange Sound. We've been doing this for a little bit over a year now. Um, it was actually about a year ago that uh, I took a slight hiatus um, because of a hospitalization um, due to a sort of emergent illness that was resolved, but uh, sent me to the hospital for four days during the height of the first COVID spike. Oh, the times we've had. What a wonderful year it's been. But uh, yeah, that uh, I I sort of left off the podcast for a few <laughs> weeks and uh not surprisingly and then i got back on to it and uh here i am i'm still here a year later uh just getting past the the wonderful year that we've all had um it's had its ups and downs mostly downs but spring is upon us and a sense of uh, maybe a little bit more hopefulness, though things are still pretty difficult across the country. There are um, there are some um, areas of the country that are seeing a tremendous spike in cases and in hospitalizations. Um, Michigan is really struggling with this now. Uh, it may well be a harbinger of things to come for different areas of the country. And that's, I think, what uh, Governor Whitmer was saying most recently, a couple days ago. We're in kind of a race. I'm not going to speak about this very long because, again, I'm not an expert. So I don't want to, I don't want to like, um, I don't want to pretend like I know anything about this intrinsically. I just hear things. So, <laughs> so you can hear things the same way I hear things. You know, you can pick things up. Um, I don't, really know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen, but it doesn't look super good. It's kind of a race between how many people can get vaccinated and be protected against uh, the spread of this virus, how quickly, you know, and the spread of different variants of the virus in different parts of the country. You know, it's a race between those two things. And we've yet to see, you know, which side is going to win their race. And it's, uh, it's a little more than exciting. It's kind of horrifying. So anyway, uh, I want to preface, as I always do, uh, my comments with the standard disclaimer. Strange sound represents the views of Joe, me, Joe, no one else, um, the views expressed on Strange Sound are my own, and they uh, represent the views of neither my friends or my neighbors or my family or my coworkers or my employer or, you know, any anyone associated with me, anyone either liking me on Twitter or excoriating me on Twitter or interacting me, with me on Facebook or whatever. Uh, nobody else represented here, just me. It's just me. So, anyway, if you want to hear about Joe and what Joe thinks, listen to Strange Sound. So, first, um, I am, as is my custom of late, I will read my furious rant for this past week. 
Um, this was posted on April 9th, which was Friday. Um, I'm recording this on Saturday, I should say. And it is, uh, you can find this post actually on big-green.net. If you go, if you follow the um, blog link and click through to political rants, um, you'll find this under that category. Um, or, you know, if you just scroll down the main page, it should be the second posting um, for this week. And this piece is entitled For the Squad. For the Squad. And it goes something like this. I want to preface this post with a simple confession. I'm old. And yes, I am a baby boomer, albeit a late stage one, so feel free to issue the usual OK Boomer eye rolls. I totally get it. My generation has had plenty of opportunity to get things right, and we totally blew it. So let me simply say that, as with most of my content, I am speaking for myself, not my fuck-up generation, a goodly portion of which showed promise early on, but whose best potential was not ultimately realized. In truth, only about a third of boomers were on what might be termed as the political left during their youthful prime, so what potential there may have been was not broadly shared. That said, as someone who has been watching Congress since his teens, I can vouch for the fact that we have seen progress over the past 40 years in increasing representation of the left in the House of Representatives. Yes, we have a long way to go before we can hope to move legislation in a more unapologetically radical direction. But for the first time in my longish life, we have a solid caucus of progressive Democrats who actually support a leftist agenda in both legislation and oversight. What's more, there are opportunities to expand this caucus in the coming years if progressives and leftists in this country organize and engage in coalition building between movements, regions, and organizations. Let me be clear, I do not expect Congress members to agree with me on every issue. I am pretty far to the left politically, and if I withhold support from candidates until I find one that aligns with me on every issue, I will end up supporting no one. Forty years ago, the closest I could have come to a House member that held views similar to mine was Ron Dellums. Shirley Chisholm was good as well, as well as a handful of others, but there were typically very serious trade-offs, and the overwhelming majority of congresspeople back then were older white men. In the 90s and 2000s, Barbara Lee, who started as an aide to Dellums and succeeded him in his seat, I believe, was the only serious progressive in the House, and my expectations were pretty low regarding the Democratic caucus at that time. For instance, I was glad when Nancy Pelosi took over leadership of the Congressional Democrats after the drubbing they took in the 2002 election, only because she was slightly more progressive than her predecessor in leadership, Dick Gephardt. Again, very limited expectations. Compare that with today. Now we have the recently expanded squad, AOC, Ilan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, Jamal Bowman, and Cori Bush, all of whom are way, way to the left of where congressional progressives were in the 1990s and 2000s. We've got solid progressives like Ro Khanna, whose foreign policy views are as nuanced as I've ever heard from a sitting Congress member. 
Pramila Jayapal, Mondaire Jones, Katie Porter, who's the best interrogator in the house, Dan Kildee, and elders like Barbara Lee, Roe Grahalva, Mark Pocan, etc. There are others as well, like Jamie Raskin, who have strong progressive tendencies on key issues and could lend support on legislation. Now, admittedly, there is a broad range of views represented by the folks I named above, but overall, the caucus is further to the left than it has ever been throughout my lifetime. And while there's much left to do, much further to go, this is like a base camp on the side of this mountain we're climbing. It's something we can build on from this point forward if we work together. Love you, Joe. Yes, that's my uh, (laughs) furious rant. Not quite so furious this week. Uh, Entitled For the Squad. For the record. So what can I add to that? Well, not a lot. Uh, I should, just to clarify... um, I've disagreed with every member of the progressive caucus that I was, you know, all the people, certainly all the people that I've named on issues over the course of uh, the last couple of years. Um, Not as much with the newer ones because they haven't done as much, (laughs) but sure, you know, I've disagreed with them. I've disagreed with things that they've said. For instance, um, on majority report, I think it was a few weeks ago, um, they played a clip of uh, Ro Khanna being interviewed on another podcast. And uh, it was, I think it was uh, Bad Faith. And they asked him if he considered himself socialist. And he gave a kind of a slightly ham-fisted answer about how he wasn't a socialist and he didn't really believe in socialism and that sort of thing. Uh, which Which was silly. Uh, I will admit that's silly, but it's, again, to me, it's it's meaningless because what I go to Rokana for is not uh, validation of my identity as a socialist. I don't care what he calls himself. What I care about is the policies that he puts forward. For one thing, he was a big supporter of Bernie Sanders for president, who is a socialist or who calls himself a socialist, at least. For another thing, he's in favor of single-payer health care, and very vehemently so. That's something that I can get behind, all right? And practically every single policy that I've seen him advance in a very public way, I can get behind. So, okay, does that make him a fellow traveler with us socialists? Yeah, I'd say so. Maybe he won't go as far as we do, but he's going in the same direction. And he's got legislative powers, so that's great. Plus, as I mentioned in the, in the blog, if you've heard Ro Khanna talk about foreign policy, um, then you, you probably know what I'm talking about here. Now, do I agree with every single thing he's ever said? No. But he understands it more deeply than practically anybody in, in Congress. He's looked at foreign policy issues in a very nuanced and in-depth way. It's not like a cheater's guide. He knows this stuff, and he has impressed me more than once with his knowledge on this. I'm I'm going back like a couple of years uh, to an interview that he did on Intercepted. Jeremy Scahill was talking to him, and it just blew me away, the degree to which 
he understood the history of the various foreign policy issues that he that he was being asked about and uh, he's he continues to do that he's he's very good on a lot of these issues so that's that's where my faith in in him comes comes in i i think ilan omar is pretty good on these things too ilan omar has been really good on a lot of these issues um particularly israel palestine but not just that um she has a great perspective on foreign policy because she is a refugee and on issues of relating to refugees, but also on issues relating to imperialism more generally. Fantastic views on that. And uh, it's it's a really important perspective to have in Congress. Cory Bush, really important perspective to have in Congress. Someone who's really come up, you know, in grassroots movements and through Black Lives Matter, and is not apologetic about it, and who has, who is a truly inspiring speaker, I think. The times that I've seen her interviewed on television, um, and really, that's that's all I know of her, right? I see her on television, that's pretty much it. You know, I don't live in Washington, D.C., so I don't, like, run into these people all the time. I don't live in her district, so I don't run into her over there all the time. Uh, I see her on television, and she starts out slow, but man, when she gets rolling, there's nobody like her. Uh, she is a very passionate person and and very committed to the people in her district and to the principles um, surrounding Black Lives Matter and and just the whole idea of you know changing the face of of criminal justice in the United States. And, you know, starting from the ground up, uh, just amazing. So, I mean, that's what I'm talking about here. I'm saying, look, you know, these are not replicas of myself. These are not like anarcho-syndicalists, right? Um, even though my, my sentiments may be in that direction, <laughs> you know, I realize that if I'm waiting to see anarcho-syndicalists be elected to Congress, uh, from from these various districts, I'm going to be waiting a very long time. That's okay, because there's so much work to do prior to getting to something like uh, an ideal place on the rights of workers and and on you know property and other key questions relating to um, what the left would be most concerned about. I think there's a lot of work to do just along the road to whatever it is we would like to see. We may never, ever get there, but that's for people, <laughs> you know, the, the people in Congress are going to be a reflection of where, where people more broadly are in terms of their political opinions and their, their willingness to move society forward and their vision for society. It has to be a broadly shared vision in order for us to have members of Congress that advance that vision and push it forward. And in order to in order to get to that point, in order to get to the point where we're putting people more progressive than AOC in, and you know, this is no shade on AOC. I think she does a she does a really good job. Do I agree with everything? No. But that's okay. <laughs> I'd rather have her than have the the jerk Joe Crowley that she that she beat in her 
in her first election. Big improvement. Big improvement. And, you know, if we're going to get people who are decidedly to the left of that, we need to organize. We need to get more people to see things our way. We need to get more people on board with a more radical vision of society and where society can go. Electing people on the left is a product of convincing enough people that that's the direction we need to go in. It's just a numbers game, right? And that's, again, I've said this many times before, that is not the only purpose of organizing. Organizing on the ground is is more about making change on a local level, on a regional level, in more fundamental ways that that aid our neighbors, that aid people in need, that engage people and make and give people a stake in society. Um, but elections are important too. <laughs> as that process moves forward, as organizing continues, and people are more bought into the ideas of the left, they will tend to vote for representatives that reflect those ideas and that vision. And the more we can push people forward on this, the more we can bring people forward, bring along with us um, a, a greater number of people, the more we'll be able to elect people who are to the left of AOC. And we'll actually translate this vision into concrete policy. So if we want to see, you know, broadened um, collective ownership of enterprises, um, a co-op sector that's much more robust and supported on a national basis, if we want to see wealth tax and maybe an upper upper wealth limit, <laughs> like putting a governor on on how rich people can be, um, which I've talked about in previous episodes and plenty of other people have talked about. I mean, essentially saying this is the upper limit on what you can, what you can possess. Uh, then we need to convince enough of our neighbors that that's a good idea. I can tell you in my neighborhood, it's an uphill climb. There are very few people in my neighborhood who would agree with me on this, but some, you know, so it's a question of getting enough of them to say, yeah, you know, this is a good idea. And this is what we could do if we did that. You know, this is, this is why this matters to you. I don't want to make it sound like everybody's inc- incredibly selfish and just self-centered and not really concerned about anything else in the world, but a lot of times you have to relate things back to people's own personal experience. The first thing they're going to think about is how this affects them. And right now, my district is being represented by Claudia Tenney, who's a Republican, who served this district, well, served as Congress member from this district um, a couple of years ago. She was elected, I've mentioned this on the on the broadcast before, or on the podcast before, she was elected along with Trump in 2016. She served from 2017 to January 2019, uh, succeeded by Anthony Brindisi, and then she beat Brindisi last year in a squeaker that it took literally two or two and a half months to, to you know, adjudicate. 
Um, she ended up winning by about 100 ballots. And she is back in Washington again, representing us. Um, and that's a far cry from AOC. She's a bit more like Elise Stefanik, who's a neighboring, who's like the Congress member from a neighboring district, uh, just north of us. And uh, Elise Stefanik is, is a Trumpist. Claudia Tenney is essentially a Trumpist. And if you look at her Twitter feed, you'll know what I'm talking about. I've mentioned this before. Just look at her Twitter feed and, and you'll see where she's at. Now, again, she was elected by the majority by 100 votes, right? So she has every right to be there and represent us. Now, do I think she's representing us well? No, but that's my opinion. I did not vote for her. If I want someone else to represent this district... I need to convince enough of my neighbors that that's a really good idea. And the more I can convince them to support someone who's more left-leaning, say, than Anthony Brindisi, who is a real middle-of-the-roader and, you know, not, not didn't have a tremendously distinguished tenure, I would say, um, that's up to us. That's up to us to go out and convince people that that's a good idea. Apparently... They haven't been convinced yet. So there's a lot of organizing to do. But again, I see that as a byproduct of more fundamental organizing around issues like uh, collective ownership of enterprises, housing, rent, rent strikes, things like that. I mean, just making sure that people have a roof over their head, which in my district is not a small problem. <laughs> I mean, property values here are relatively low, but income is low as well. So it's very hard for people to stay, um, keep a roof over their heads, and keep their families fed around here. This is one of those places that is, uh, we're not like a one-company town. We haven't been a one-company town for a long time. I'm not sure that we ever were. We had, you know, industries here through the years, but... We never quite come out of the hole. <laughs> We're always a little bit in the hole. We're always struggling. There's usually some promise of some other industry that's going to come in and, you know, generate thousands of jobs. Um, it never really seems to materialize. Uh, so, and we've been through that cycle many times. I mean, it's just a kind of a function of capitalism, right? It's people find a use for this area. Um, if they can find a use for this area, they will invest in this area and then maybe some of us will reap the benefits, <laughs> but it's kind of a, I don't know. I'm not somebody who thinks that, you know, the best thing that can happen to us is some big industry swooping in here and, and opening a plant and having everybody work there. Uh, I don't particularly think that that's a good way forward. I think what we need to do is is build an economy from the ground up. I need. I think we, again, it's partly just organizing and having a, a locally supported economy that works for everybody, not just the owners. And, you know, we got a lot of work to do on that score. But again, just to get back to what my uh, column was about, um, yeah, we get the representation we deserve. 
if we're not better represented in these districts, and again, it far be it for me to criticize somebody like AOC when she does something I disagree with. She is not my Congress member. She represents her own district, and it's up to the people in her district to let her know what they need her to do. I don't want to presume to make that decision for them. Sure, I feel free to criticize whatever I want to criticize, but I don't, you know, I do it from, I do it advisedly because, you know, she represents her district. There's plenty to criticize about my district and how it's being represented. And I should be focusing on that instead of focusing on them. But I have to say, as I said in the blog post, we are in much better shape than we've ever been throughout my entire life. And I'm over 60. So, <laughs> you know, when I was born, you know, I, I think the uh, Congress member here, well, certainly when I was a young person, was a Republican by the name of Alexander Perny. And uh, sort of a Republican of his day, he was succeeded by yet another Republican I think it was Don Mitchell and the Democrat who ran against Don Mitchell. I remember I was in junior high when this happened. The Democrat who ran against Don Mitchell was a guy who owned a car dealership. <laughs> the guy who owned the Ford dealership locally, you know? So, I mean, that's, that was our democratic opposition. I think that was in 1972. Um, and of course that guy lost and then, Don Mitchell was our was our representative for I think several terms. He was um, I think he was an optician by trade, if I remember correctly. I think he sold eyeglasses. Um, and then he was succeeded by Sherry Bowler in the early 1980s, who had been I think a congressional aide and who um, won in like 1982. And represented the district until 2006. Then it's kind of gone back and forth between Democrats and Republicans a few times. Because Sherry Bullard was considered probably the most moderate of Republicans in the Republican caucus in the House during those 30 years. So he was, you know, he was against contra aid. Um, He was... Uh, in support of clean air legislation, uh, anti-acid rain legislation back in the day, so he had kind of a he had kind of a green, uh, I'd say a green resume as a legislator. And again, you know, that that was the best we could do given our level of organizing here, right? And since then, we've had you know Michael R. Curie who represented the district for four years, and then. Richard Hanna, who was, I mean, Michael R. Curie was a Democrat, and then Richard Hanna, who was a Republican, who represented it for, I think, six years, and then Claudia Tenney, two years, Anthony Brindisi, two years, back to Claudia Tenney. So we're, we're sort of like, it's a bit like Groundhog Day. And I won't, I wouldn't doubt one one bit that uh, Anthony Brindisi will run against Claudia Tenney again uh, in a year and a half, and uh, we'll see what happens then. But uh, it's again, it's just back and forth between these two very narrow polls. Claudia Tenney is far to the right of where Sherry Bullard was back in the day. Um, 
Anthony Brindisi is more like where Sherry Buller was. He may even be a little bit to the right of Sherry Buller. I'm not sure, even though he's a Democrat. So I, I leave that to other people to, to sort out. But anyway, I've tarried on a bit. Let's let's just leave it at that. Um, honestly, we're in a better place now looking at Congress as a whole than we were back in the day. And uh, that's that's something. That that's something to take some heart in. We've got a long way to go, but that's a start. And that's all I've got. I'd like to hear what you have to say. You can leave a one-minute voice message when you go to anchor.fm slash strange sound. Just follow the link for a... Uh, talk back form and you can record a one minute voice message. Um, if it's something that isn't too terribly obscene, I will play it on the air on the podcast. And, uh, you know, I'd like to turn this into a conversation. Um, I'd certainly like to hear what you have to say, what you think. If you disagree with me, let me know. I'm sure there are plenty of people that disagree with this, particularly on the left. So, you know, let's hear it. Uh, Glad to hear from you. Uh, if you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Strange Sound Pod. You can also find other ways to contact me at big-green.net. Follow the contact link, and you will find other ways to get in touch with me. In any case, glad to be with you one more time. Um, hope you have a good week this coming week, and I hope to see you and speak with you soon. Take good care out there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.